0: Session with Dr. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Farid Hulakou, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra your number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm actually doing a little bit of catch up with the books because I didn't have shows two weeks ago. So we'll do a book today. And then on Friday, uh, the book I'll be discussing is From Strength to Strength. By Arthur C. Brooks From Strength to Strength Finding Success, Happiness and Deep Purpose In the Second Half of Life So that'll be on Friday's show The book of the week that I'll talk about tonight Is Period by Kate Clancy Period, The Real Story of Menstruation Uh, And I'd seen this book Was coming out a few months ago Recommended by a few people. And so I ordered it, I think it just came out last week. And, um, you know, I've talked about a lot of different topics on the show, books with a wide range, but never obviously as specific as this on menstruation. And what was interesting is as I read this book, um, and I was in a few public places when I did a few different coffee shops, I realized and I, I have to be honest, I had this sense of, oh, if people look at the cover of the book. Might they have a reaction or might they think something of that? I'm not proud of that, but I did realize it made me think of that, and that is a theme that comes up in the book. It covers so much, really, um, thoughtfully, from the science of menstruation, what we know and understand and what we still might not know, also many myths and misconceptions that we have related to menstruation and periods, um, and also the history of why some of those myths might be there because of gynecology coming from eugenic and colonial um, times or influences and how that's impacted and also being predominantly created by white men and the impacts that's also had. So she does a great job, as she explains early in the book, that to tell the story of menstruation, the science of menstruation, it's impossible not to talk about the history and how it has these different cultural and sexist and ableist uh, overtones and influences that have impacted what we've thought we knew and how the science was created um, and also the remnants of that, but also how it's impacted individuals who menstruate um, and what they go through. And as I was saying, that made me think about this stigma that she brings up a lot in the book, that uh, periods and menstruation is something that, people are thought to hide or they should hide it. No one should know that you do it and so much should go into making sure that you cover it and even she talks about some of the thoughts and ideas about it being somehow dirty or impure even in some religions but in some cultures. Although as she shares it's not true in all cultures that it is seen that way. There's at times actually in some cultures we see a sacredness that surrounds this process uh, also as a A um, individual becoming a a woman or reaching that stage can actually be seen as something quite special and important and also that it marks possibilities for fertility which is obviously very important as well and so we do see in some cultures types of rituals and um, practices surrounding this that uh, menstruation that are actually quite beautiful and meaningful and so it's not true that it's considered shameful or dirty or something to hide in all cultures, but in a predominantly uh, predominantly in the Western culture we do see that. and so in a uh, obviously minuscule way, I felt that that stigma in the way of having the book or really was a sign to me of how this larger stigma exists. So I realized when I first was going to start the book I went to a coffee shop and I put the book down, and then I had this. I did have this thought of, well, should I put it face down so the title is not showing? It, it came to me because is, is it going to be possibly offensive, or people see it in some way? And I think that's kind of the point that we've made, or menstruation has been made to be this thing that's shameful and should be hidden, and that should not be the case. As uh, she explains in the book, menstruation is something half the half the world does for a week at a time, for months and years. On end, yet it remains largely misunderstood, and then as she talks about, also largely something that has to be concealed. But when we think of half of the population doing something almost once a week, once a month—sorry, one week every month—but um, yet it's something we think we should hide. That does show this very strong prejudice against it, and the the ways that we think about it being shaped from a more male-dominated mindset, and so that is. Uh, when I saw the book, I thought it was interesting From for me to learn. I thought it was an interesting perspective. I did also recognize, okay, I do want to talk about things that are taboo, although she does explain that the, the word taboo has origins that might be different than what we think of as just something that has to be hidden in a negative way. But nonetheless, as I'm using it now, this taboo of something that has to be hidden or not talked about, um, concealed and how that impacts individuals who experience whatever that thing is. Uh, and this you know includes things like uh, sexual abuse um, and suicide and even mental health issues themselves that are stigmatized and uh, given taboo type of uh, kind of status that we shouldn't talk about it or uh, we're breaking those taboos. And so I thought just to discuss it would be a good thing. And what was interesting is as I got to the end of the book, the last paragraph before uh, the acknowledgments, the author of this book, Kate Clancy, um, says, I hope you read this book everywhere, in libraries, on public transportation, in front of loved ones and strangers. And so that was interesting as I read that, and I thought that that's kind of the experience I had. And as I mentioned, it was a few different places. And so even today, as I was reading the last pages of the book, and I was in a coffee shop, I did have the experience. Okay, it's here, it's here, and I hope people do see it because it's something that we need to make it more um comfortable to talk about and to be seen and to not deny it and try to make it invisible. And uh, as I mentioned, the book gets into the science of menstruation and and what it is and what it isn't, um, some misconceptions that really are, are challenged, and it's a reminder to me of how things become quote-unquote common knowledge, meaning we think we all know something because we hear it so much, but it can be based on uh, old science, or faulty science, or not even so much anything scientific, but just things that people have shared. But for example, one of those is, I had always heard, well, is an individual? Do they have normal periods, or is it not so normal? Or are they regular or not regular? You know, that's something that I've heard many times to the point where I just thought that's just a thing that yeah. So so some people experience very normal, regular ones, and some people don't. Um, but as it turns out, there isn't this quote unquote normal, and so. She gets into looking at um, these themes of normality and reminds you of some books and topics I've discussed on the show before, where we make normal mean healthy and good, and anything that deviates from that is unhealthy, bad, um, something uh, you shouldn't be proud of and you should be ashamed of even at times. But really, as she explains, really no one fits into this normal that is at times proposed uh, and that Periods themselves are dynamic within each individual and can change based on environmental and different factors that they experience. So, this notion of this normal period that either you have and that's healthy, and if you don't have, it's unhealthy, is not true. So, again, the lived experience of individuals who menstruate will demonstrate this and they might experience that, but we can see if you've been told you're supposed to be normal and this is what normal is, and if you're not, you're abnormal and unhealthy. That's really harmful. Um, And so that was something that, again, I heard it so many times, I just thought it was uh, wisdom from above, that it's just accepted wisdom, but it's not true. Uh, Also, she uh, counters and explains how much of the female role in reproduction is considered passive. We see this um, explained in the way that there's the passive princess uh, egg waiting for the valiant sperm to arrive and, and fertilize, and that's the, the process of how um, we procreate. But that this is not the case, that it's not so much this um, passive role at all, and that the the egg is much more involved. Even how the egg is chosen is dynamic. Each time um, an egg is is released, it's a dynamic process, and then even a sperm is in some ways chosen more than just wins some kind of race. But she explains how there are these... Ways of the story of the hero male and the passive female that exist, even how scientists at the time, who were all male, were looking at what is going on. And some of those themes still permeate how we think about things like reproduction and menstruation and things that um, connect to that. So, again, these were things that for me were eye opening that I didn't know the details of. And she really breaks down the science of different ways that follicles are chosen as far as um, the eggs and uh, the processes of that, and that it's a, each time there's a process that happens there. Also, I'd read this in another book, I forgot which one it was, but this fascinating um, fact that when a woman is, is pregnant with a female child at about 20 weeks, I think, or midway through pregnancy, the fetus will have their eggs in their ovaries. So they have the eggs that they will have. So if you consider it at one point, this pregnant mother also has the egg that will become her son or grandmother as well um, uh, there. So it's kind of interesting, all three generations there and also impacts. We can see how things can be, when we talk about things being passed on genetically, of course, there's that, but epigenetically and environmentally, we can see how stressors could affect multiple generations. Um, at the same time, which is fascinating. So I learned a lot reading the book, but uh, also thinking about, she says, the future of periods and how we think about things. And she talks about something that I'd heard a lot about that I thought was um, a good thing. And I think she says it is good, but it's it's a bit mixed, which is getting uh, products that individuals who are menstruating would need to individuals that don't have them. And I worked with some unhoused individuals and knew that this was a big issue because at times um, individuals who needed those products they didn't have access to them. And so getting, to them, getting it to them is very important and we should do that. But she does mention that some of this also, the ways that this is done um, can contribute to the sense that it's something that should be hidden. So it's helping people learn how to hide their periods from others or the fact that they are experiencing that. When that in and of itself she sees as an issue that we should we should keep in mind as well. So, um, yeah, I learned a lot and there was a lot of the science that I would have to reread to get into all the details of uh, how complex these issues are. And again, it does remind us of the dynamic process that is there and to consider the woman's role in reproduction in general as passive is not true. And also to think of periods as something that is some kind of negative byproduct or just a byproduct is missing Um, the science of how much is involved there and why uh, individuals even will have a period and what that means um, is much deeper than just to think that it's some kind of uh, evolutionary accident or byproduct of other things. So I really do recommend this book. And as I mentioned, just in talking about it, I think it's important. And I hope we will make it more comfortable to discuss these issues and not think of periods as something that just need to be hidden when we know that about half the population will be experiencing it and the the mindset most of us have is that it has to be hidden i think that is problematic so i really enjoyed the the science the myths that were um dispelled in the book and her thoughts on what we can do and should do in the future to make this even better for individuals who menstruate to to have better experiences with that so i highly recommend this book period the real story of menstruation by kate Clancy. Let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. In the first segment, I was talking about the book Period by Kate Clancy, the real story of menstruation. And, um, you know, there's obviously a lot in the book every week. I can't get to most of what's in any book in the short amount of time I discuss it, uh, but I did want to touch on a few more themes and some more thoughts of of my own related to it, but uh, she talked um, about fat shaming also and that there's this, uh, in the medical community, of course, larger uh, society at large, these issues permeate how we think about weight and being overweight and how it affects health and often um, the concept or the idea is that being overweight leads to periods not happening or people not having their periods and people should lose weight for that. Um, and she talks about some of that science or studies that have looked at that, but also that really usually the bigger problem can be being underweight and not having your period. And it can make sense. The body is uh, wants to make sure you have energy reserves, um, one, on the body, but also what it's experiencing in its environment based on what you consume in your activity level. Can you take on the process of... Um, having a, a child develop within you and then to go on further from that, so that that actually often is um, more overlooked in some ways because of the fat shaming mindset and that she she looks at how that affects so many people and even her uh, herself uh, was she was an athlete uh, a track athlete and how she noticed the impacts on herself and and others mm-hmm. around her related to that um, but also as I was saying before about this topic and how hidden it is, it did make me reflect on my own uh, experience and really that I had to recognize I probably have been very ignorant and not mindful of what um, individuals around me might be going through because it's not something I have to think about as far as experiencing it, but because of the stigma and then this pressure that individuals experience to hide or conceal the fact that they are having a period that it even happens. um, It makes it can make others and I would be part of that others that don't see it or don't recognize it could be impacting someone. Um, So I've actually thought about this and seen it. Also, people, men who have had sisters, sometimes they're more aware of this because they saw it more up close through their sisters and can be more uh, sensitive, cognizant, mindful of this. But I've realized how much I have not uh, been aware of that. And in the book, she does talk about how we can be more mindful, obviously as individuals, but also societal and structural types of changes, even the ways that we plan work and meetings. And she shares how, you know, and she actually does share a lot of personal experiences as well from herself and other individuals, which I think added to the book in giving it more of that uh, dimension of a lived experience, um, but of herself, for example, teaching as a professor and not being sure if, you know, there might be some leakage and she's uh, giving her, uh, you know, going through the presentation or being in meetings and feeling like she's, you know, needs to go to the restroom to, to change her pad, but, You know, the meeting has to go on a certain length of time. And so she uh, explains, I think, quite importantly, how it's something we want to be aware of what people are experiencing, what they um, need to go through. And when we are asking people to hide this, that you shouldn't even bring it up or try to conceal it. Well, then, of course, it will make them feel shame and a huge stigma against asking for time related to that or to... Um, you know, take care of something related to that or taking time off of work or doing something, you know, that they need a break because of the pain that they experience. And so many individuals experience intense pain uh, during this process. Again, for uh, every month, uh, they might experience that. And so it made me think more closely about that, and and I did have to think, oh gosh, how many times did I not realize something was going on around me that someone um, needed something, needed a break, or needed something from me, or even maybe was asking me something, but I wasn't aware of that, because maybe they felt afraid or embarrassed to ask it more directly. So I think if you don't go through this, it is a reminder of trying to tap into that empathy that when we don't experience something, it's impossible to know what it's like. And that's one thing we have to accept. I think I have heard men say, oh, it wouldn't be a big deal for me, or I would do this, or I would do that if I was going through, uh, you know, having a period or childbirth or this or that. and we, can never, um, we should be very careful not to assume we know what it's like to go through something we haven't gone through and won't have to go through. Uh, and the best thing we can do is to, hear people's experiences that have gone through it, knowing that even through that you won't understand to say now you know what it's like, uh, but they can get closer to having an understanding of what that might be like for them and what they might experience and then what that might ask or what might be helpful from you to know, okay, this is what someone does go through. And so the first step is curiosity and wanting to know more, meaning that we have to ask about it. And uh, as I said, I, I know this topic is uncomfortable for most people, even I'm um, thinking, oh, doing a whole, I don't know if the whole show next segment will be on the topic as well. But even already, I know for many people it might be an uncomfortable one, but I hope we can break that that stigma and make it something that we can talk about. And I think most men feel like it's such a awkward, uncomfortable conversation to even ask or try to understand more about. And I'm sure I've I've been there as well. And of course, because it can feel very, and it is personal to an individual, we have to be mindful of how you ask and sensitive how you ask and who the person is and what questions you ask will be important to make sure it's not intrusive or feeling like um, you're violating them in some way by even saying educate me you know anytime we are the uninformed you want to put the onus on yourself to try to learn more but I do think the best way to learn is to uh, hear it from the people who experience it so however you can do that um, whether it's actually talking individuals or also hearing the accounts of people I think that's important and so uh, I, I do hope that that stigma and that discomfort the more we talk about it the less uncomfortable It becomes this is true of of any topic. Uh, and if anything is a taboo, or even if a word is forbidden, or the way we talk about it, a topic is forbidden, the more you talk about it, the easier it is. I've seen this happen with um, in therapy so many times with individuals, but also you can see it more clearly with couples where we bring up a topic that feels very scary and uncomfortable. And at first it is and so my role will be to to assist in having the conversation maybe at first you're just dancing around the topic a bit or getting closer to it but then slowly uh, we talk about it and then you keep doing it and then it's really wonderful to see couples who at some point in the therapy couldn't even hadn't even had a conversation let's say about their sexual relationship or some other aspects of their relationship Um, but now after several conversations in therapy and then the conversations they've had outside of therapy now they can talk about it comfortably or more comfortably doesn't mean it's easier it just becomes like you're talking about anything else but it can become easier and so I do encourage uh, all of us to to do that to really push for recognizing the discomfort will be there it won't be comfortable but if we talk about it it'll be easier to talk about and even I recognize I've compared it to things like I said suicide or sexual abuse where we're talking about a natural um, human experience that about half the population will be experiencing and so I can hear that how that could sound Um, but my intention is to to recognize just the taboos and the things that we have a hard time talking about and how those continue to proliferate or perpetuate the stigmas that are there. So, yeah, I did have some of these aha moments and some maybe oh no moments. So the aha moments of people I've interacted with and things they maybe have said that I could hear in a different way. But the oh no moments, I think actually most of them I I have missed, but it made me think of oh no, I probably didn't think of something or didn't even realize that this is something to be aware of when I'm interacting with someone. Um, Because also the stigmas that are there include things like, oh, you know, a woman on their period is going to be difficult or challenging or emotional or sensitive. And that's unfortunate, as as uh, Kate Clancy talked about. Of course, there's lots of studies because of this, looking at the negative aspects of menstruation and how it affects the people who are going through it. But there's I think she had only one survey or one study looking at the positive possible impacts. And even this thing of being more emotional or moody, which is usually also when we talk about people being emotional, we connect that with being irrational, which um, I always find troubling because our emotions are informative as well and tell us a whole lot. And to just think of something as emotional as irrational, I think is problematic. Um, But she shared research that showed that when... um, individuals were in their premenstrual phase, I believe it was, they were actually better able to um, notice or realize if something was affecting them internally. I actually forget the 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 markers that they used, but I do remember the theme was that they were actually better able to recognize the something was positive or negative that they were, were going through. And I've heard this actually before. Someone had mentioned this as sort of... Um, something they had heard or some wisdom that actually when you're uh, on your period or around the time of your period, your your intuition might be more right or might be more in touch with something. So maybe that's along these same lines that there is a more of a connection to the body or the, the body responses, which can include those type of gut feelings, those intuitive type of feelings. So um, I do think that's something that, again, because most of the science has been done by male scientists... And also because of most of the scientific theories and thoughts on things like menstruation has been created by the science created by men. The perspective was there and saw it as this negative type of thing rather than seeing that maybe there's more nuance to it than that and to not just see it in that way. So um, just some things to think about. And as I said, for me to, to think about and I've realized thinking about this with uh, people around me and being more mindful of it or, how I interact with them and have conversations around these type of topics. And again, not saying, Hey, tell me about your menstrual cycle or your experience cause that could be very intrusive. But being aware that I want to make people that I'm close to more comfortable if, and when they would want to ever discuss or to, to think about those topics or to feel that they can to be comfortable to share those things. So uh, this book definitely gave me a lot to think about a lot that I learned. Um, But I hope most importantly, to any of you listening, you realize that it's something that we shouldn't be afraid to talk about because it's so ubiquitous and such a part of our overall human experiences as as human families that we go through. All right, let's go into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Wanted to end the show following up on a theme that I discussed earlier in the book about quote-unquote normal cycles Um, but this word normal or also sometimes we think of something as natural or the way it should be Um, and when you read you know books and accounts of the past sometimes we can laugh at the things that people thought were good or bad or healthy unhealthy or the ways that things should be because it seems so um, wrong, but we forget that we do the same things now or the ways that we internalize what just feels right as far as like a, a social norm or how things should be, they're not something that means it's just natural and normal, the ways that we sometimes use that word. It's things that we have created culturally as well. So it doesn't mean it's all one or the other, but being aware that just because some something feels right doesn't mean that it's something deeper because the way we feel things it's automatic so it seems like it's coming from somewhere so deep that we don't think well I'm thinking about it so it must be something that just feels right and so um, in this book that came up many times as she debunked lots of um, bad science and old science some of it even not that old but that still persists but there's also this theory about um, women and childbirth and uh, I forgot what years this was from, but not that long ago, but that basically women needed to conserve energy. And so uh, they shouldn't be wasting energy on things like even education, which would be too much for their brains and too much physical activity because then that would take away the energy that they need for child rearing uh, and, even, and pregnancy and, and childbirth and all of that. So there was this very this theory that was very widely accepted that um, women should not be wasting energy in these ways doing things that men do and so um, we shouldn't uh, you know be doing that so uh, for example in 1873 in this book that was called sex in education or a fair chance for the girls Dr. Edward H. Clark he put forward the idea that women should not be encouraged to seek an education because it would affect their fertility. And so, to most of us now, that would seem kind of laughable, but this was very much a accepted thing, and that he was saying that higher education would deprive their reproductive organs of energy, causing their ovaries and uteri to shrink. So, this was a very, um, you know, respected uh, doctor of the time making this this claim, and so he was believed to be an expert because he was a doctor. But it doesn't mean there was anything to what he was saying, and so again, we can laugh at that and think, "Oh, that's crazy that a woman going getting an education would affect fertility." Uh, that's that's crazy. Um, but then also later in the uh, in the same chapter, she shares how, um, it kind of in a similar vein, it was thought that women should not do endurance type of sports, and so they were um, restricted; they couldn't be in marathons, and so in 1967 Catherine Switzer became the first woman to run uh, the Boston Marathon as an official entrant as she shares here there was abandoned racer Roberta Gibb who did it the the year before and actually ran it even faster but nonetheless so Catherine Switzer in 1967 wanted to run the marathon and it was this huge controversy and I'd seen some footage of it before and she has a picture here but it shows um, that she was trying to run the marathon and Men were so outraged and upset by it that they were physically attacking her. Even uh, the Boston Athletic Association coach, Jock Semple, that's who we see in the picture, is is assaulting her. And so Catherine Switzer's boyfriend had to run alongside her to help protect her in running the marathon because it was just thought of as so wrong for a woman to do it. And sometimes we see things like this and they're done, well, we're doing it for your own protection, for your own good. Um, so this is usually the, the people in the position of power telling those who don't have the power that we're not giving you some kind of rights or some powers or some resources um, not to deprive you, but actually to protect you. We care so much about you. So feeble women, you shouldn't run the marathon because it's bad for you. That's how it was presented but really we can see that it was based on so many falsehoods and also this sense of protecting this male-only space, not even male-dominated, to keep it a male-only space. And so these men are outraged. And you see it, that they are so angry, even in this picture and the people that were you know, uh, outraged about this. It actually reminds me, now that I'm looking at the picture in front of me, of um, some of the images you see when integration was happening in the United States, and we would hear these uh, arguments being made that it was unnatural, and to mix the black and the white children was a bad idea and, and very unnatural and wrong. Um, I think it's Ruby Bridges. There's that really, it's powerful and heartbreaking um, image of her being you know, with some authorities. I think there are U.S. marshals that are there to. Protect her as she's going to school because there was all these protesters, white protesters outside, who were so upset that she'd be this first girl. I think it was in New or- New Orleans. I'm not sure. I, I shouldn't say. I don't remember the city, but nonetheless, being integrated into school there, and people were protesting. And again, the the thought was, this is so unnatural. Doesn't it seem wrong to have black children and white children in the same school? Again, something that we would think of as laughable as an idea very painful and horrible but laughable as far as the integrity of the idea but it seemed right to them and so again here when i look at this picture it brings up that same similar feeling um, that then it felt so wrong and unnatural to many men um, but yet i think it was a few years later yeah five years later um it was women were officially allowed to enter the boston marathon and so and then now when you watch you know a marathon if you see women running. I don't think most people have any reaction to that. Maybe you just don't like marathons in general, but not the thought that a woman should not uh, be there. So it's just a reminder that so often things that we see as unnatural or seems just wrong, uh, we have to be mindful and aware that even though it feels so automatic that it makes us think, no, no, this is not like an opinion, this is not a feeling, this is not a bias, this is just what's right and natural and normal. I've heard the same arguments about things like gay marriage, that, oh, it just doesn't look right when I see it. And, you know, it doesn't look natural. And, of course, then people create their arguments that about it not being natural. A wonderful book I read last year, uh, Queer Ducks. I think it was Elliot Sheffer, if I'm remembering the author's name correctly. But that book was very wonderful for me to debunk, debunk this idea that um anything that was queer non-heterosexual or, or cisgender type of uh behavior was unnatural in human beings and so here he was showing that i think it was something like in 1500 species in the wild we see behaviors that are non you know heterosexual types of uh behaviors uh, from uh, and different species from bugs to mammals to everything in between so this natural argument goes out the window if depending on how you use natural so it might not feel right to you or feel good to you or lots of things it can make you uncomfortable that doesn't mean that it's inherently in some natural way wrong or bad or it should uh, not exist or not happen so um, this idea that women shouldn't run marathons we wouldn't think that's true at all but then the thing I always try to remember when I look at something like that and we think of an idea as laughably stupid and you know um, but again it's sad because I, I say laughable in the idea but people were being hurt uh, in real ways that's not laughable at all but then we always have to consider what are the, what what are we doing now that might be similar to that because when you're in a certain time period the things that seem like those norms seem very real and and they, they're right. But the hard part is to try to think ahead to recognize what might be looked at as unnatural now but actually we are hurting people and I think as I mentioned things related to the LGBTQ community I think that's definitely one of those that people will say well this doesn't feel right you know uh, it makes me think of people will use that to say uh, you know that this is not right look at how it is compared to how things have been. But, you know, even when women were going to work, because I've heard some people say, well, how do we know how to interact with someone in this way if we've never dealt with a non-binary individual? How am I supposed to respond to that individual if I haven't had that experience before? And I think we should give ourselves more credit in society, more credit that we can do that. Again, just like in this book about women um, running a marathon, when women were becoming, let's say, in the United States, part of the workforce, there was a lot of resistance against that, and people probably thinking, well, how can I be in my work environment, but then also now women are there. That's unnatural. It's going to mess everything up. How do I know how to interact with them? And, of course, it was challenging, and even the most challenging for the women that were having to go into that and the discrimination they experienced and even continued to experience, but, of course, when it was first happening, it was even stronger But we learn to adjust and we don't get surprised if you go to an office and you see, you know, men and women and even now non-binary individuals, you won't be surprised to see people that are not just men there. That's just very natural. So um, I do think it's worth remembering that things we think are normal and that must be somehow natural and even that natural means good, uh, can get us into trouble, that we might hurt people because we think we know what's right and even what's right for them. I've heard the same argument when it comes to individuals who are trans, that people will say, oh, I, I don't want to you know, get caught up in the, the pronouns. I don't want to uh, even have gender-affirming care because I care about them. It's hurting them. And again, so we always have to be careful when the people in power... Are telling those who don't have the power and who are being uh, stigmatized, being persecuted, being um, hurt in a variety of ways that we know better for them or that they're going to tell them what's best for them. People can share their lived experience and what they need with us. That should be much more valuable than thinking we know better, that we know what would be better for them. So uh, I also think something like talking about periods, could be, uh, it's different in some ways, but similar in the sense that it could feel very weird and no, no, you just don't tell, that's not right to talk about them, right? I'm sure even hearing me talk about it today, and even for me, I, I haven't talked about it uh, this many times using the word period or menstruation in a single show, um, that is different for me too. And so I do feel something as I say it, but the more, as I was saying, you talk about a topic, the less it feels that way. So I'm sure for many people when they think, uh, you know, me saying, oh, you know, talk, feel comfortable to talk about it, to bring up the conversation, to give people the space to want to share about what they're going through, I can hear the, the thought or the response. Oh, no, that's just, it's just not right. That's not natural or it's not clean or it's not this or it's not that. And it makes people think that because that feeling they're having feels so strong and visceral that there's something to it. But it's, it's the same thing. And it could be that it's something very comfortable to say. It's like, oh, you know, I, I couldn't come in because I had my period and I had this feeling. That could feel, that could be okay to say, just like we could say I had a cold or I, I felt something else or whatever it was you were going through. I would hope that that would become the case. And it can be. It will take us some time. But the only way it happens is if we go through those uncomfortable transitions of feeling that we can talk about it, that we don't have to hide it and it shouldn't be something that needs to be hidden we all know it exists and it's happening and the goal shouldn't be how do we hide it better which uh, as as she mentioned in the book is a lot of what we have seen happening the the stigma has made it that the goal is to make it hidden and if you make it more hidden that's a good thing and let's see how we can figure out how to hide it even better that should not be our goal our goal i think should be to make it easier for those who are experiencing it, to experience it, to get what they need, to be able to communicate how they need to communicate, to have the resources that they need to make that experience easier for them, and to also feel like there's nothing they need to hide or be ashamed of. That is a natural part of being human. I was using this word natural. Um, That is something that people experience and that we know they experience and have to experience and is a part that allows for childbirth uh, or pregnancy and, and then childbirth to happen the whole process of reproduction revolves around that and so we shouldn't be hiding it or thinking it as something is uh, dirty or unclean or taboo but I, I hope we make it more acceptable and so for me this was one step in my own personal process of, of doing that reading this book I hope you will too again Kate Clancy's book period the real story of menstruation I hope you'll read the book but also in general keep that open mind and thinking when it comes to that all right, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. A big thank you to Razaleh here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fairo Lokwi, Zan Zendegi Azadi.